Put the key in the car, turn the ignition, and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. You are listening to Audio Drama in a Darker Shade at darkerprojects.com. And now our feature presentation. Darker Projects presents Tales from the Museum, The Beginning, a miniseries written by Charles Russell, starring Joshua Perus as James Lee Shepard. October 5th, 1936. 
My first morning in Johnson City, Tennessee was pretty pleasant. The sky was a cloudless blue and the temperature was warm enough for an autumn day. The mountains that surrounded the city were awash in their fall colors. The taxi dropped me off in front of the regional museum. This was a hulking building that took up a good-sized chunk of prime downtown real estate. There were two buses parked on the street outside. They were disgorging swarms of elementary school students and their teachers. Field trip day for fourth graders. I strolled inside and gave my name to the matron at the information desk. She called the uniformed guard over and he ushered me to a private elevator. He told me that it was automatic and I'd go straight up to the fifth floor. Just like the captain. An outgoing, gregarious kind of guy, but a little on the private side of things. He probably had a secret entrance into the place as well. Jim, come in, come in. Good to see you again. Have a seat. Thank you, sir. Richard Faring was a tall, fit reed of a man. He was wearing an expensive suit, tailored to fit. His once dark hair was now touched with gray at the temples. Same firm handshake. Same penetrating gaze. He was still the captain. And you can drop the sir as well. We've been civilians for a while now. Drink? Sure. How was your trip? A free cross-country ride on the Silver Flyer in a private compartment? I liked it. Excellent. Imagine my surprise. I'm sitting there in my office in Los Angeles, minding my own business. Suddenly, a telegram from you arrives saying, Get over here. I need you. Then the train tickets show up. Mysterious. That's not what I said. But I'm glad you came. Like I said, free tickets and a private compartment. How could I say no? Indeed. So, why am I here? Where to start? Let's start with you. For the past six years, you've been working for the West California Telephone and Radio Company. Nice, safe, middle management job. You're credited with single-handedly negotiating a series of union contracts and keeping an organized crime takeover from happening. Your manager thinks very highly of you. How did you... My family owns part of West California Telephone and Radio Company. Good radios. I have one in my office. This isn't your office? This is my outer office. Anyway, as to why I called you, I have a problem. How much do you know about this museum? Only what I've seen. Big operation. This museum is a big part of my life. It was my father's dream. He wanted, no, demanded, a place of higher learning. A place where anybody could come and be filled with and excited by sheer knowledge. He wanted to benefit the entire state in Johnson City. This was his gift to the world. A gift from a man who worshipped intellect. Impressive. My father entrusted the running of this institution to me when he died. I've been very secure in managing the family business and the museum, getting it to its next stage of growth, but... But... But something is wrong. Something I cannot understand or handle on my own. I know you hate that. What's happening? Someone is stalking the museum. Someone has turned my museum into their private hunting ground. Someone has kidnapped four young ladies, four that I know of. I've had a private investigator look into it. I know there are more. These girls have disappeared and are not seen again. This isn't a job for the police? They called me. The last girl to go missing worked here. Angela, a sophomore journalism student at the college. She worked here as a part-time tour guide just under two months. No close family. Her roommates reported her as missing. Ransom demands? None. Any clues? None. No trace at all. Jim, I can't have this. 
This place must be safe. That's why I need you. I don't need the police. I need the man who was my lieutenant. The man who could troubleshoot any situation. I need the soldier who took down three enemy snipers in one weekend. I need the soldier who, when we were cut off behind enemy lines, took the clothes off a scarecrow, dressed in them, and staggered into a German village. Remember him. You came out with directions to the front and a bottle of schnapps. Jim, there is no one else I would even consider turning to. I'll be serious. I wouldn't blame you if you opted to go back west. I'll... As if he had to ask. I know I'm going to regret this. Let's say I go along with this. What are you expecting me to do? Two things. One, if possible, find the girls. That's most important. Secondly, find out who is doing this. I will not tolerate anyone putting my staff at risk. I have what little police information and some newspaper clippings in your desk. I have a desk? Yeah, in your office. I have an office? Ruthie, would you come up please? You have a secretary as well. Actually, you'll be sharing a secretary with two other offices. So, I have one-third of a secretary. Basically. Jim, I'll need this cleared up by Halloween. Halloween? Sir, that's not even 30 days. I'm aware. But the museum hosts a rather well-known masquerade party in the main gallery. Quite the social event. The mayor, his staff, town councilmen, county commissioners, local artists, newspaper people, debutantes... I get it. Sir, how much authority do I have in this? Rather a lot. Remember how the British Army had those special services teams? Well, Jim, congratulations. You are now my special service team. Any questions? No, sir. Mr. Fair? Ruthie, this is James Lee Shepard. He'll be moving into the special services director position. He doesn't look like much, but he's a good man. Gee, <laughs> thanks. Don't mention it. Ruthie, would you mind giving him the nickel tour, then get him set up in the office? Of course, sir. Mr. Shepard, if you'll follow me. Ruthie was a petite thing. Young, mid-twenties, easy to look at. Barely five foot three with bobbed hair. Nicely dressed in a sweater and skirt, she effortlessly guided me through the main building, the newly constructed East Wing, and the planetarium, which was almost ready to open. Then she steered me to my new office. Here we are, Office 321. You get a nice desk, nice shelves, new filing cabinet, hot plate, and a coffee pot. There's a file folder with some forms you need to sign for personnel. Right. Not wanting to sound forward, but how do you know Mr. Faring? Were you in the army together? Captain Faring, myself, and a few others spent 48 hours in a foxhole during a continuous artillery bombardment. Worst 48 hours of my life. I see. You know, Mr. Faring likes to brag that he only hires the best. Are you the best? At some things. These forms? Yes. Sign by the X on the first three pages, please. You mentioned that you were from California. I've always wanted to go there. It's a great place. I'm from Virginia originally. That's nice. Sign here and initial here. How about you? How long have you been here? At the museum? Maybe six months. I came for college and hated it. Never got around to leaving town. Sign here and initial here. 
Okay, that's it. I'll run this to personnel later. There's a welcome packet for you in one of the desk drawers. It has a list of shops and restaurants in the area where you get a discount. Pretty handy. Thank you. For the record, he created this job title for you the same day he heard that you were on your way in. We've never had a special services man before. Not surprised. One last thing, Mr. Shepard. I do not work in this building after dark. I know it sounds silly, but I'm always clocked out before sunset. I hope that's not a problem. No problem. Aren't you going to ask why? Nope. Hmm. You're not here to be an administrator, are you? No, probably not. Ruthie sauntered out of the office. I found what I was looking for in the center desk drawer. A plain manila folder sealed with a red paper band. Whomever breaks the seal accepts full responsibility for the contents and related actions. Old habits die hard, eh, sir? Not much here. A photostat copy of a police report, one page. There's also three newspaper clippings and a handbill. The police report wasn't a fount of information. Angela Tanner was reported missing on 20 September 1936. Last seen on 18 September 1936 as she left residence for work. Subject is a student at the college living in the Susong Cottage. Reported missing by roommates. Attempted a long-distance call to an aunt listed as next of kin. No answer. Registered letter mailed out to contact address on 22 September 1936. The newspaper clippings were from the paper's police blotter. Three young ladies reported as missing. Both from earlier in the year, March and June. One from last year, September. The handbill was interesting. Do you know Mariana Biggs? Please contact R.C. Ballard, Private Investigations, Mountain 6352. You look poorly absorbed in that. I hadn't seen her standing there. Dr. Catherine Caspian was a stunning woman. A slender brunette in an expensive-looking outfit. She was the astronomer in charge of the planetarium project in Ephraim Hall. Educated at some royal school of something. She spoke with a very slight accent. European. I've just been told you're another person who signs off on these. Invoices for the planetarium. It's for the delivery men, is that right? Let's find out. Ruthie, do I sign off on lugger tickets? On what? For the Steve Dwarves, Ruthie. They just unloaded some crates at Ephraim Hall. Thanks. Yes, I'll take those. Excellent. It's Catherine, by the way. Are you settled? So far, so good. The rumor in the commissary is that you're a faring nephew or cousin. Is that true? No, no relation. Call me Jim. Jim. You've been here long, Catherine? A little over a year, ever since Mr. Faring opened the planetarium. Interesting man, Mr. Faring. You have no idea. <laughs> Do you like it here? Yes, it is a fascinating place to work. Did you know that the building next door, the Carstars building, was commandeered as a field hospital during your Civil War? Over 500 soldiers died there, another 200 after Blake's Ferry. The main building here, it was built in 1908. Most of the bricks and blocks from the exterior were imported from Europe. The elder Faring wanted a sense of history built in. This building is made from old castles. Historical. Oh, sorry. I have the tendency to ramble, as they say. Don't worry about it. If I stay, I'll probably need to know this stuff. <laughs> You're nice. 
Well, I have an appointment with an optic steel in an hour. I believe the phrase is, see you around. I believe it is. Oh, Jim? How do you feel about ghost stories? I like a good scare as much as the next guy, I guess. Good. Have a nice day, Jim. I'll see you around. She's really something, isn't she? Ruthie? Ruthie, were you eavesdropping? You never turned off the intercom. Don't worry. I had the volume turned low. I could barely hear you. Thanks. You're welcome. Did you love her outfit? Didn't notice. Hey, Ruthie. According to this list, we get a discount at a diner a couple of blocks down. Is that true? Yep. Join me for lunch? You vibe? Of course. strolled out of the building. All was well, until I heard him. Hear me, hear me, each of you. This vile place, this abode of evil, must be destroyed. Ruthie, must be what is that? That is Brother Gilbert Lloyd from the Knights Temple of the Crystal Palace. Used to be a big here. deal around here. Sort of a cross between the Templars, the Ross Crucians, and the Ku Klux Klan. He shows up for his speech nearly twice a week. He was a tall, gangly man. I put him in his late 30s, early 40s. He was dressed in a long robe with what looked like white burlap. His shiny bald head and full dark beard made it look like an evil magician from the cover of a pulp magazine. The speaker was flanked by two more people, a middle-aged couple, also dressed in white sackcloth robes. Criminal blood? blood? Executions. You cannot hide from history. There used to be a gallus tree here. You cannot hide those dead souls. Since the dawn of time, this has been the home of violence, death, and depravity. And now, a dark being is here, drawn by the evil of kindred spirits who live here. A devourer, an evil thing who feeds off the flesh of the innocent. Soon, mark my words, soon, maybe even tonight, another innocent will be taken. She will never be seen again. Do you want her blood on your hands, on your conscience? How many innocents must we lose? How many times must this happen? How many innocents must be lost before action is taken? Come now. Come to the path. Join us. Help us fight this evil. The lives of the innocents depend on you. The crowd pretty much broke up after that. I saw a few people gathering around the very verbal, bald man and his friends in their matching sackcloth suits. Ambassador Hotel was located one block over from the downtown train and bus station and about six blocks from the museum. It advertised itself as a clean and comfortable place for the weary traveler. I was weary, but I wasn't very comfortable. I was wide awake, laying on the bed, staring at the ceiling. The glowing hands of the alarm clock read 11.45. I hate it when I'm like this. I got dressed and took the elevator down to the lobby. 
I told the drowsy desk clerk that I would be taking a walk, but would return soon. It was a cool night. Not a lot of traffic. Too late for many people out and about. I stuck my hands in my coat pockets and started strolling in the general direction of the museum. The huge edifice, with its imported exterior, was dark, except for a couple of windows. I assumed the housekeeping crews were at work. I'll admit it, there was something about this place. Something. And we're on. I didn't think. I just reacted and ran towards that sound. I turned down an alley, then another left. Help me! There. There up ahead. What the? A girl, a young woman, was cowering before something. <laughs> a formless shadow of a something. It was floating over her with a pair of serpentine arms wrapped around her. I couldn't quite focus my eyes on it. Almost as if it wasn't really there. The thing's head turned to look at me. I saw two glowing red eyes. It released the girl. She staggered back, dazed. But she had enough sense to run. Good. Now all I had to worry about was me. The thing launched itself at me and lashed out with one of its tendril arms. It flailed at me again. I felt myself flying backwards and slamming into a brick wall. Then the thing was on me. Those tendrils slashed out again. I was seeing stars. I slumped to the ground and waited for the final blow. The image was towering over me. It was becoming more solid. Something vaguely human. Two glowing red eyes burning into me. Then the voice. James Shepard. Inside my head. Inside my pain-addled brain. I have no need of you. But I needed that girl. That one. Your salvation approaches. The gods of fortune smile upon you. But Hear me, James Lee Shepherd. Those gods of fortune will not protect you from me. Beware of the sleepwalker. <laughs> Too. Not so loud. Where am I? The employee's lounge. A pair of cops helped you walked in. Do you remember that? No. How do you feel, son? Like I've been hit by a bus. Good. Ruthie, get the door. Yes, sir. Report. Sir, I was at the hotel. Couldn't sleep. Took a walk. Came here. Heard the scream. Ran in and saw... Something. Specifics, please. A big, floating, smoking shadow 
thing with two glowing eyes. It called itself the Sleepwalker. It said that he needed that one specific girl. Sir? The two of them swapped glances. Lieutenant, what you're about to hear does not leave this room. Understood? Yes, sir. Jim, if you spend any time in this part of town, you will hear some strange stories. Stories about the lost girls. You probably heard part of it from Brother Gilbert. It's a local legend. For a very long time, young ladies have been vanishing from this area. They are never heard from again. The first mention of the story that I can find is in the local newspaper. That was 1920. I always thought it was just a local legend used to scare proper young ladies out of this neighborhood. This used to be a rougher part of town. You'll hear about cannibals or white slavers. Uh-huh. For the past several years, whatever it was you saw has been hunting the museum grounds. Remember what I said about someone stalking us? <laughs> like he said, it's just one of the reasons I don't stay over in here. I'll get you home, Ruthie. Jim... What I said about these stories going back 16 years, I can only point at two of the women who have had an encounter with the entity who have survived. One was the girl tonight. Her name is Charlene, by the way. She's a junior accountant with the tobacco. She was working late to help polish a preliminary sales report for the season. Their office is just down the street. Told the police she has no idea how she ended up in the alley. The second. Me. Right. Ruthie, your last name is Ballard, as in R.I. Ballard, Private Investigations? I was hired by a banker in Kingsport. He needed the Biggs girl to sign off on some legal paperwork. I came to town a few weeks ago. I heard she had been working as a shop girl in one of the department stores. I even rented a room in the same boarding house she lived in. I was asking questions all over the place. One evening... I went to bed at about 8 p.m. I woke up in a back alley at midnight. There was a voice in my head. It told me to stay away or I'd disappear too. It told me that I had no business here. I don't remember seeing anything. But you stayed? She took a job here. She could stay in the neighborhood and continue the search. She takes her job very seriously. I was told one of my employees was asking questions. I called her into my office. Imagine my surprise. A kindred soul with a similar interest. So she's not a stenographer. I can barely type. For the record, I haven't found her. Sir, I know you like to play your cards close to the chest, but is there anything else you need to tell me? No. You should be up to speed now. Well? Sir, when I left the army, I came home to find out that my fiancé had run off with a traveling salesman. Ouch. Yeah. Nothing to hold me there, so I started working my way across the country. I hopped freight trains, been a longshoreman. I drove liquor shipments for Capone's boys. Then I was a cop in Minnesota for a while. I even traveled with a circus for three years. You're right. He does have a past. Yes, he does. What I'm saying, sir is that I have been in places and seen things that still don't make sense to me. I don't like that. Tonight, what I saw, that didn't make sense. I don't like that either. Plan? Sir, right now I'm just thinking about going back to the hotel, 
having a drink, swallowing some of my aspirin, and sleeping this off. I'll be fresh in the morning. You're staying? I don't know what that thing was, sir, but I need to find out. That's my boy. Ruthie, wear some comfortable shoes tomorrow. We'll be doing some walking. And Ruthie? Yes? Welcome to Special Services. Oh, we needed that donor to finish the process. She was very specific. I am aware. How much damage was done? How much of a delay? She was to be the last link in the chain before the procedure. We needed her unique biology to process the serum. Uh, without that final process, the serum is of no use to either of us. What females we have on hand, can we use them? Uh, I've already disposed of them. Their usefulness had already passed. Very well. Return to your files. Find another donor. Of course. But what about this man, Shepard? If Ferring's new pet becomes inconvenient, then we shall deal with both of them. We are quite adept at making people disappear. Aren't we? You've been listening to Tales from the Museum, The Beginning, entitled Sleepwalker, written by Charles Russell. Featured in tonight's episode were Joshua Perus as James Shepard, Victoria Perus as Ruthie Ballard, Eric Bodd as Brother Gilbert Littlemead, Rachel Pulliam as Dr. Catherine Caspian, Ellie Hirschman as The Sleepwalker, Tanya Milovic as Angela, Sally Widget as The Girl, James Leeper as Thane, and yours truly as Richard Faring and the announcer. The original music was composed by Joey Stuckey, Kevin McLeod, and Kai Hartwig. Produced in post-production by MJ Cogburn. This has been a Darker Projects production. This is Shane Harris. For more horror, science fiction, and other podcasts, please visit www.darkerprojects.com. Thank you for listening. Hi there. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Well, you're in luck. Wednesday Wonders is the mutual audio feed that has all things to do with the world of the unknown. Subscribe to the full mutual audio network feed every day for amazing audio, or you can find the Wednesday Wonders for all of your sci-fi and fantasy needs in your favorite podcast player.
The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.